the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hey everybody, Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thank you again for listening. We love you guys. We're excited. We're anointed to do this. Kenneth Hagin used to say, if you're anointed, tell the people you're anointed. You're not glorying yourself. You're glorifying God. They need to know what an anointing is. After all, it was Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ is his title. Jesus, the anointed one. And he anoints people. His word is anointed. When you pray for your pastor, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He has anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent him to heal the brokenhearted, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk today about Jesus and his church. The scripture I'm going to focus on to begin with is Matthew 16, 18. I've read it before. I've talked about it before. But today I want to come at it from a little different angle. I was going to talk about the prophets. I wanted to speak about what's going on in America and in my circle, Word of Faith movement. We've got a lot of problems within our... We just become another religion, but that's okay. God gets past that. But a lot of our people are talking about the fact that Trump was stolen the election. We get that, but he's still going to be reinstated. I don't get that. And a lot of people are using a prophetic voice saying, thus saith the Lord, to say God's going to give President Trump two terms. So I did want to give you some insight on that, but as I started to do it, I felt led to go in this direction, so... We'll come back to that another day. Also, we started teaching the book of Revelation again in our Bible study, and it's wonderful. And that's what led me to talk today about Jesus and his church. It's so important. We, the church needs a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The church needs a revelation how he works in his church. The church needs a revelation about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, how he's building the church, the gifts he's placed in us, and the relationship we're supposed to have with him. So, like I said, last time we spoke about that scripture, Matthew 16, 18, I'll read it in a minute, coming from how the church connects with Jesus. Today, I want to talk to you about how Jesus connects to the church. Scripture, Matthew 16, 18, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We got that. And he says, thou art Peter. I know the Catholics teach Peter is the first pope. He is the rock upon which Christ is building the church. That is erroneous. If you read the verse before that, it talks about that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is the rock, that truth, that revelation knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah upon which the church will be built on. You got that? The church is not being built on Peter. It is built on the revelation truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah for all mankind. So many of us are trying to build the church. The key sentence, I will build my church. 
Jesus is building the church. A, it's his church. B, he's going to build it. And, you know, we love to do works. We love carnality. We struggle when it's walking in the spirit. We struggle about hearing in the spirit. We struggle about doing spiritual things. And yet we got to understand to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace in the Holy Ghost. And so we need to quit trying to help Jesus build the church. He'll build it. He said he would. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, revelation, knowledge, I am the Messiah, I will build my church. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not my wife's church. It's not even your pastor's church. It is his church. The problem is we don't allow him to own and act in his own church. We've got pastors, and God bless them. Jesus really honors pastors. We're going to see that in a minute when we get over to Revelation chapter 1. But it's the church of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth within that church. But it's his job, and it's his job to build it. He said he would build it. He didn't say we would build it. He said he would build it. He, I, will build my church, saith the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his job. It's not ours. We are privileged to belong to his church. We have a role to play in it. But at the end of the day, it's the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.22 And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And because Jesus is the builder of the church, he also now is the head of the church. We just read it. And we need a fresh revelation about those two truths. Actually, there's three. It's Jesus' church. He's the builder of the church. He's the head of the church. We must come to that place. We must acknowledge it. If anything that we've learned in the last year is that the churches truly do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. I don't think we've ever acknowledged that Jesus Christ builds the church. I've got people that I'm associated with in leadership positions that will tell you we need to build God's kingdom on the earth. But how do you build God's kingdom on the earth? We're not building anything here. You know, the Bible says that we're to, oh, what is it? We're going to suffer persecution. But this is the devil's world. Get that in your head. Yes, the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. But this is Satan's earth right now. Adam committed high treason. He gave the authority over to Satan. Jesus took it back. But Jesus even called Satan the prince of this world. We assume a lot. You know, it seems as if mankind is taking control of the church. I don't necessarily mean the government either. I'm not talking about the ungodly government. I'm not talking about when they shut us down, the medical community. I'm not talking about the WHO. I'm not talking about the UN. I'm talking about us, the church, Christians. We have wrested control of the church from Jesus. And more often than not, we dictate what goes on in that church. Not him. And we've got to come back to the place where we allow Jesus Christ to be Jesus Christ in the church. Let's look at some of the scriptures and just see how much of an active role Jesus wants to play in the church, in the daily functions of his church, because he's got a role, he's got a desire, he's got a plan. But we're in his way. The church that he's building is in his way. Revelation one thirteen, great scriptures here. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps his breast with a golden girdle. This is a picture of the church. Jesus is in the midst of it. And notice the church is what? And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. And he had a golden girdle on. Somewhere else it talks about the fact that the church is golden. And that's a picture of purity. Would it be a pure church? Gold is bright. We are supposed to have reflective light whereby the world can come to the place of safety. That is the true church. Revelation 1, 13, I just told you that the church is the seven candlesticks. Let me 
confirm that in Revelation one twenty. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand. This is in red. Jesus is talking to John. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the mystery of the seven golden candlesticks. Let me explain that to you. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, let me make a couple of points right here. The seven stars, uh, the, the word there is actually is angels. It's angelos, A-N-G-E-L-O-S. And in the way it's used, it's not used to talk about angels. It's used to talk about ministry leaders, or better translation would be pastors. So when Jesus is talking in the book of Revelation to the seven angels of the seven churches, he is talking to the ministry leaders or the pastors or the reverends. He's talking to the spiritual overseers of those flocks, the shepherds. So the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which you saw are the seven churches. So when you read over here back to 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, that's telling you Jesus is standing in the middle of the seven churches. A better rendering of the word candlesticks would actually be lampstands, and that's because candlesticks are finite. The wick burns down and the candle's no good anymore, whereas candlesticks, you are constantly filling them with oil. They never run out as long as you keep pouring oil into them. But the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven churches. John, the revelator, as he's called, or the apostle John, was given a vision and instructions by the Lord Jesus concerning the end times. Here we have a picture of just where Jesus stands in relation to his church. The seven churches are represented by the seven candlesticks or the lampstands. The stars represent the pastors or ministry leaders of those seven churches. Where's the head of the church? Where's the Lord Jesus Christ? He is in the midst of the seven churches. Can you get a grip on that? Geographically, these churches, they were spread out over in uh, West Asia. Actually, it's called Asia Minor. And you started out with Ephesus, and then you went north, and then you went out to the east a little bit, and then you came back down south. Have a semicircle. Jesus Christ is in the midst of those, figuratively speaking. But that's also a literal meaning that he's in the middle of your church. He's in the middle of all these churches. He is in the middle of, this is his church. He has not, what's the word, neglected his responsibility. You're going to see what a job he's doing. It's so exciting when I get it. I'm going to give it to you in like two minutes. Where is the head of the Lord Jesus? He's in the middle of the church. We must get that understanding, the care and the attention that our Lord Jesus Christ gives to his church. How dare we violate his word in his church? How dare we cower in fear in his church? How dare we place our own well-being above our service to him in his church? This is his church. We've got to get that through our heads. You know, I say this, I think I said this a few weeks or months ago, that, you know, the government didn't shut down the churches in America. The evil mandates by the mayor or the governor of Texas, they didn't shut the churches down. Our pastors shut the churches down. And that's what I mean when I talk about the fact that we've wrested control of the church from Jesus. Did anybody bother to go and say, Lord Jesus, would you like me to shut this church down? Do you think he really would have said, yes, go ahead and shut down my church? Come on, we don't act like the world. We don't live like the world. How dare we violate God's word in God's church? How dare we place our own well-being Above our so-called service to him, we say we're Christians, we say we're committed, we say we're bond servants, and yet we violate that at the first drop of a hat concerning persecution. How dare we bow down to ungodly mandates from man and from man's government? If we truly did know our Lord Jesus Christ, we would live holy in his church. 
I read an article the other day that probably 20% of the churches that shut down will never open again. Well, I'm sure God's thrilled with that. I also read an article that 80% of the churches that were in existence before are still closed. Well, to me, that means they probably were never the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin with. I can understand you making a mistake. I get that. But after nine months of dealing with the false pandemic and the lies that have been perpetrated, all with the purpose to shut the mouth of the church down. How dare we still cower in fear and remain closed? Either he, if there's a scripture somewhere, if God be God, serve him. It might be in Isaiah. We need to make sure that we are living the faith that we are learning, that we are preaching, that we are talking about. I love this. It talks about the fact that uh, there was one in Revelation, uh, was that 22, 13? John was writing, one like unto the Son of Man. Remember John. John was the apostle that rested his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Recall that? Remember that? It was the one they have pictures of him lying, reclining on Jesus' breast. John knew Jesus. He knew Jesus as the Son of Man, right? But here in this scripture, we've got a whole different picture of Jesus. We've got a picture. His, white, his hair is white as wool in Revelation 1. He's got his breastplate on, and it's golden, which uh, talks about purity. It talks about judgment. He's got uh, his feet are like bronze. That's that's further judgment. I mean, his eyes are gleaming with fire. That's further judgment. The John, that the Jesus that John sees in the book of Revelation is all about judgment. He's wearing the robe of the high priest. And this is who John's talking to. The problem with John, for John, he knew Jesus, the son of man. He didn't know Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords. He didn't know the glorious resurrected savior. So when he got this picture of Jesus, it kind of threw him on his back. But that's a great, actually, the Bible says he fell down as one dead. But that's a great understanding for the church. We know the son of man. We know Jesus that walked the earth. That's fine. That's good. That's great. But we need to know Jesus the God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the nations. We need to know him, the spiritual form of Jesus, the King and the priest, the Lord of Lords, the everlasting Father. We need to know him. If we get a revelation of him and it's that picture of Jesus, not the Son of Man, it's that picture of Jesus that he wants us to see because that's the Jesus we need to be referencing. That's the Jesus we need to be preaching instead of this little baby in a manger that walked the earth and let man kill him. That's fine. But we need to give the church a fresh revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, John walked with the Lord Jesus on the earth, but this person he was seeing was kind of different. He did know Jesus as the Son of Man. Here, though, he's about to meet him as the judge and the king of the universe. Garment down to his foot, that represents the priestly garb. Golden girdle about his chest closes out the description. He is not only a priest, he is judge as well. And remember this in the book of Revelation chapter 1, when Jesus reveals himself to John, he's revealing himself to who? To the world? To Pelosi? To the government? To China? No, he's revealing himself to sinners. No, he's revealing himself to his church. This is how he wants to be known and seen by his church, both as priest, king, and judge also. Notice where Jesus was standing. He was right smack in the middle of those seven candlesticks, which represented the churches. He's not out on the fringe. He's not doing a drive-by. He's not even looking down from heaven. Jesus stands today 
in the midst of the seven churches. Hey, guess what? Today, Jesus is standing in the midst of your church also. Jesus has a hands-on approach in dealing with his church. We need to understand that. When you go to church and you're looking at your phone, Jesus is in there. When you're walking outside and you're throwing your cigarette out the window before you walk in the church, your Jesus is seeing all that too. Man, it's a holy church. We're to be a holy people. Revelation one sixteen. And Jesus had in his right hand seven stars. Remember, what do the seven stars represent? They represent the seven Anglos or ministry leaders in the church or better yet, pastors. He had in his right hand the seven pastors of those seven churches. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. In addition to sta- this is so good. In addition to standing in the midst of the churches, he also holds the pastors or the ministry leaders in his right hand. That Greek word for hold there is kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. And it really means, it signifies a strong, a masterful grip on these pastors. He has them in his right hand, the place of power, the place of strength. And yes, that's Jesus Christ showing that he has control of these pastors. Yeah, let's make that personal. Jesus Christ himself has a strong, masterful grip on the hands of your pastor, just as he does those in the pastors of the churches of Asia Minor. So far, it looks like Jesus is being quite attentive to his church and its leaders. But it gets even better than that. Okay, so look, let's review quickly. Jesus, A, he's standing in the midst of the churches. That's in, that's symbolic. He's in the middle of all the churches. There he is. He's watching over them. And he's got your pastor by the right hand. What an anointed position. Uh, I don't have time for this now. Maybe if we get into the other Churches, I'll tell you about this, the the sevenfold spirit that's before the throne of God in Revelation 4, what that means. Basically, I guess I'm going to tell you about it now. (laughs) Basically, it means it's the sevenfold Holy Ghost anointing that's on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Guess what? It's on you too. If you want to read that, that's in Isaiah chapter 11, verses, I think, 2 through 4. Anyway. Revelation 2, 1, And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Here it's repeated. Twice already Jesus told that he holds the pastors in his right hand. He also walks in the middle of the candlesticks. Said that twice. This is important. The Greek word for walk, I love this, is peripathos. Peri meaning around, pathos meaning path. Peripathos. That's a compound word. Peri, around, pathos, path. Basically, what he's saying is Jesus isn't just walking aimlessly around outside the doors of the seven churches, outside the doors of your church, even though, yes, he's out there. That word pathos, it's not just a street or a road. It is a well-worn path. It's a walking path, and he knows it well. It has become quite familiar to him. He's quite comfortable when walking on this particular path. Matter of truth, he is comfortable on it because he's walked it thousands and thousands and thousands of times before. It's a well-worn path. It's a friendly path. It's a path that he could easily walk blindfolded. That's so great. This path is its own driver. It takes you where you need to go. It steers him on his appointed rounds, as it were. He is performing an outward observation of your church, my church, every church, when he walks around. That is the implication that that phrase is trying to give you. Jesus walks around the outside of your path. You don't need security guards out there to protect your car. Jesus is out there walking around the church. And he's done it so many times. He knows every nook and cranny. He knows where every saint is hiding. He knows everyone that's smoking, grabbing a smoke before they walk in. He knows kids that are playing as they shouldn't. He knows people that might be interceding in the prayer room before church service starts. He's been walking around that church. He's performing an 
outward observation. So important, it gets better. Not only is he performing an outward observation, but he's walking in the midst of those churches as well. This is great. Perry, he's walking around, but he's also walking in the midst. He is intimately acquainted with every action of our churches, everything that we're doing. He knows exactly what is going on because in addition to performing an outward observation outside the church, he is in the midst of it performing an inward examination of our church as well. Bottom line, what the scriptures are trying to tell you is according to these scriptures in Revelation, Jesus is intimately aware of everything that is going on and going around your church. He knows everything. Why? It's his church. Don't forget, the Bible says, See thou was man diligent in his business. He shall not stand before men of low estate, but he shall stand before kings. He shall stand before great men. Jesus Christ, he made this church. He's not going to leave us alone. He's not going to drift away. He's not going to fall away from the care and the nurture of his church. What are you kidding me? If one were to continue reading on in second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, you would read where each church, Jesus has something to say to them. And he says to each church, I know your works. That is so awesome. He knows what you're doing. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows how the children's department is. He knows who's behaving in children's church and who's not. He knows what your pastor is preaching. He knows who's leaving early. He knows who's watching their football score on their phone while the pastor's preaching. He knows who's sick. He knows who needs healing. He knows how much you're giving in the offering. He knows where he wants the church to go. But the problem that we've done is we've limited our church services to a a greeting, uh, three worship songs, maybe four, maybe two, uh, receive the offering, tell a couple of jokes during the announcements, let somebody come up and talk for 28 minutes, and then we're out of there in time for Sunday football and dinner. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit. When we prayed in our church at the, at the beginning of the year, uh, we made a commitment that we were going to pray, A, for two things. We were going to pray that, A, there would be a sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit in our church services. And that's great. But there needs to be more than that. Not only does there have to be a sensitivity, there has got to be a submission to the will of the Holy Spirit. When you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he's allowed to speak. But that does no good if you are not submissive to doing what he wants you to do. Don't forget, he's the Holy Spirit. He's God's Holy Spirit. He's representing the head of the church to us. We need to bow to his will. When he speaks, we need to listen. That means if he speaks in the middle of the second song, you shut up and you listen. If he changes the direction of your sermon, you sit down, you relax, and you let him speak to you and give to you another one right on the spot. It's the church of the living God. He is the head of the church. He built the church. He gets to decide what goes on in those churches. It's so amazing. But like he says, I know your works. He's not just on a leisurely stroll. He's closely examining everything we do, both the actual work and the motivation for that actual work. I'll take you to Revelation chapter 2 when he talks to the church at Ephesus. He tells them, your works are great. You're doing great things for the kingdom. I appreciate that. But then he hits them at their core problem. You have forgotten me. The idea of doing works is to bring you and others into a closer relationship with God. Revelation 2.4, let me read you the scripture. Nevertheless, I have something against you because you have left your first love. Their first love is supposed to be Jesus. And they didn't lose their first love, as some would say. They left it. It's different. When you lose something, it's out of your control. You have no idea where it is. You've lost it. You can't get it. 
But when you have left something, you have done it willfully. I left the opera after the first act. It was terrible. I left the ball game. My team was getting destroyed. So he's saying to the people at Ephesus, you have left your first love. You have left me. You're doing great things, but you've left me. So despite their great worth ethic, they willfully chose to move on from their relationship with God through their love, which they had cultivated for their love for Christ. Scriptures like these are there so that we can do a self-check in our own churches and in our own lives. Another aspect of Jesus and his relationship with his church, Ephesians 3.21. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. What have we just learned? Well, we've learned, A, that the church is an eternal entity. You got that? We are an eternal entity. That's all there, there is. There, the, the people that get born again during the tribulation period, they are not the church. The people that fall away, the apostate, they are not the church. The church age began at Pentecost and it ends at the rapture. It is a very special ecclesia, a called out people designed for the glory of God. Right there. Unto him be glory in the church. We are supposed to be bringing God glory in our church. When we wrest control from him, when we decide what's going to go on, when we decide what songs to sing, what time they'll be, when we decide what we're going to preach on, without seeking God's will, and, you know, we can come prepared to church with our lesson and our songs, but still, he's in the church. He's waiting for us. He wants to meet with us. You're waiting for him. He wants to meet with you. Give God the glory. Give him rule. And let him truly be the head of your church. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.